Welcome to Beyond the Press Release, our production of GoreCon, in which we take the time to speak with small cap executives right after they put out important news with us today. We're happy to have him back for the second time. First interview was a smash success. Sadi Coscarella, he's CEO at TAT Lifestyle Wellness. Trades on the stock symbol T-A-A-T, T-A-A-T on the CSE, and for our friends in the U.S., T-O-B-A-F. For those of you new to the story, there's going to be a lot of you because TAT has been a, a bit of a market darling since its launch of its products back in December. To understand and really to understand the value proposition of TAT and the growth prospects, okay? Because we don't run into companies like this very often and neither do you in the small cap world. You first understand some of the recent massive trends in the consumer packaged goods space, okay? That's a CPG space. What do I mean by that? Non-alcoholic beer, right? An alternative, perfect experience to, to beer, but uh, alternative has grown to $18 billion market. The plant-based meat market, we know beyond meat, but there are other companies in that space in, in, as well, has now grown to an estimated value of about four and a half billion, growing to eight and a half billion. What they have in common is they're providing their con the consumers the original products, uh, you know, alcoholic drinks, meats, right? With the exact same experience, taste, smell, even the movement and all that, uh, without the negative parts of the original products. So here's TAT. Tobacco is used by 1.3 billion people worldwide. The market exceeds $930 billion from the last research I saw. Many of the many of users of, of cigarettes aspire to leave nicotine behind. In the US, there are 34 million adults alone. So what's TAT done? Under the administration, what I call an all-star team from the tobacco industry, they've developed a nicotine-free, tobacco-free smoking experience known as TAT. That's a trademark uh, that's already been launched in the US. This isn't uh, an idea. This isn't R&D. It's already been launched. And what it does is it mimics those experiences uh, of a cigarette without the nicotine, without the tobacco, but it tastes and smells just like it. It's tearing up the market at this early, early stage. Let's talk about it. SETI, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, George. You're hired. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I'm done. I mean, maybe I'll ask you questions now. <laughs> There's the audition. That's a wrap. Let's go get some drinks. Yeah. Hey, it's easy because you guys are knocking out of the park. And we haven't seen something like this in the small cap space, right? Where you can move into a massive consumer packaged goods category. How big of a problem are you? I don't want to say you're solving it, but how big of a problem are you addressing? I mean, it's a, it's a huge problem, right? I mean, if you think about how big the, the population of smokers actually is globally, you're looking at about a billion and a half almost people. So, I mean, that's a significant percentage of the population and the industry alone is worth I think it's 960 uh, billion US. So it's, it's huge. I mean, it's practically a trillion dollar industry per year. And I mean, you'd be hard pressed to find smokers that have just sort of resigned themselves and say, screw it, I'm going to smoke. I mean, they're all in some various stage of looking for alternatives or quitting or, or something, right? And, you know, given my time at, at Philip Morris, when, when I was working with a lot of smokers, because we were trying to commercialize this product called Icos. And, you know, for the vast majority of smokers that I worked with, and I've worked with thousands of them, it's, it's always the same thing. Like, oh, you know, I'm trying to vape, oh, I'm trying to quit, oh, I'm the patch or the gum or this and that. I mean, there's all these sorts of things, which tells me that there is a captive audience. 
right? It's not like you have smokers that are completely satisfied and you're trying to inject something into them in the hopes that they're going to buy it. You have a pool of a billion and a half people and who are actively looking, looking for another alternative, but they haven't found it yet. And I think we have an alternative that is actually viable that will solve a problem for them because there isn't a smoker alive that wants to consider themselves an addict. Right. But the fact of the matter is you're addicted to nicotine. So if we can give you something that you can still smoke, that'll give you the same experience as a cigarette, same taste profile as a cigarette. In fact, I think it tastes better than a cigarette and we can make it non-addictive and give it to you at a price point that's cheaper than a pack of cigarettes. Triple you're win. You're not gonna, at the very least, give it a try. And given the size of the industry, I mean, you take a look at the, the, the size of the market in the US. I mean, in the US alone, it's about 100 billion. So you don't need every smoker to love it. You need, I think we talked about this the last time. I mean, I could have one out of 400 smokers like it and that's still $250 million a year in sales, just in the US. And the US is only three and a half percent of the world's smokers. So yeah, the, 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 the numbers are- It doesn't matter how you cut it, George. I mean, seriously, like it's one of those industries that if you have the wherewithal and you can show up with a product that even a modicum of the market likes. And I think we have a product that a good number of the market would like. But even if you had something that was marginally liked, you're still gonna do well. I would have assumed that if we were talking November before you guys launched, you'd have the optimism and say, George, you know what? I think we're on it. We've we got the potential to be the next CPG revolution, but you've launched. How, how have the repeat orders from over 60% of your uh, retail establishments, because your customers are George the smoker, you know, the user, but your, your clients, right? Those repeat orders, how much more confidence does that give you and the TAT team that you guys are potentially moving closer to being the next big CPG revolution? Well, listen, I think whenever you launch a new product, I mean, you might like it, but you have a bit of a bias because you're on the team that made it. Of course. Um, you know, the, the best thing that can happen is when you actually put it out in market and you have people that are, uh, I guess, don't have that bias, right? It, it's just raw, whether you like it or not. And when you put it out in market that way and you get actual smokers that are buying it, trying it, liking it, and then going out and buying it again. Um, I mean, that gives us a tremendous amount of confidence in the product that we have. Uh, I think the price point, the execution strategy, how we're sort of rolling it out. Um, so, I mean, for us, I think that initial feedback uh, gave us what we needed to really start ramping up production and, you know, signing on guys like uh, Crossmark. Yeah. And you know, we announced that uh, earlier in February. Now, Crossmark is a tremendous partner for us. Um, I mean, they're the same sales agency that commercialized for Jewel. So they've got access to a significant percentage of the convenience stores in the United States. They work with a lot of the chains, not all of them. They represent, I mean, if you even go to their website, I mean, they represent companies like Mars, Kraft, P&G, Unilever, Ferrero. Like they work with brands you know. And they typically only like to work with brands you know, unless they see an opportunity on something new that they think they can help blow out of the water. Otherwise, there's more companies that approach them than business they'll do in a year. So, you know, when they 
when they learned about us and, and we kind of went through that process and explained to them what it is that we wanted to do and the value proposition we had to the consumer, I mean, they were probably equally more excited about the opportunity than we were. And they said, listen, I think that we can um, knock this out of the park for you. So given the fact that they've done it before, I mean, they, they did, um, uh, uh, you know, tremendous business with Jewel. And, and I think it was, they, they, put were, Jewel, they put Jewel on the map. Well, for sure, especially in the US. I mean, Jewel, again, I, I've used this one before. I mean, Jewel launched in 2015. Um, now, they weren't the first vape in the market. There were a lot of vapes before them. I think they just figured out how to package it and market it a little bit better. Um, by 2018, so three years later, uh, Altria had made an investment of 12 and a half billion for 30%. So they valued it at 40 billion. It's not bad for three years. And just in case that's a, a lucky one, there's another company called RLX. I think we talked, we spoke about it last time. So they're, they're like a, a, a similar product to Jewel out of China called Relax. Uh, they started 2017. They're, they IPO'd on the NYSE uh, about three weeks ago, and they've been holding a value of 40 billion. They do 300 million in sales. So again, like you start thinking about the size of the US market. And again, you got a hundred billion dollar market. One out of 400 smokers is about $250 million. So really the question you ask yourself is, do you think the product's good enough that one out of 400 smokers will like it? Because, and again, you're not gonna get that overnight, but that really becomes the goal. Can you find 200,000 or 300,000 smokers in a population of 40 million smokers in the US that will like and continue to buy TAC? That's really what the math works out to be. Well, when you get 60% of your customers renewing and they're only renewing because George and Mary and Bob are buying, then I think that tells you, uh, that, that tells you a lot. What? And that's what I mean. You know, you start you start looking at the numbers that way. And, and again, it, it's like these little things that you start to add up and say, all right, you know what? I do think we have something here. Now we can start going um, a lot harder, a lot faster. So and that's is, why we, we wanted to get e-commerce out uh, this week because we thought that it was the right time to, to launch it. And I think that there's a, a pent up demand in the market now because even from, from the advertising that we were um, circulating in Ohio, uh, through our digital marketing team, uh, AdFuel, um, we started to see people in Ohio sharing the ads with other people in the US. So even though we geofenced or just were running ads in Ohio, we started seeing people from all over the US pop up by hitting the ad or something that was forwarded to them through the analytics. I'm like, okay, people are starting to share it, which is interesting. So now that you're starting to build a little bit of uh, a bit of, a bit of that awareness, you want to be able to start offering that to the broader market. E-commerce, I think, is a tremendous uh, tool that we can leverage while we start building out uh, and expanding on the brick and mortar side. And and this interview is not scripted, right? There's a reason I'm asking you that. It, was this interview scripted or just basically, hey, we know what we're going to talk about because you just hit on something I want to ask you about, which is the virality. Because I was thinking to myself, hey, if I'm a smoker in Ohio and I've tried TAT and I like it and the price point, which I want to talk to you about because you have an advantage there that other CPG companies have never had, but we'll talk about that. But the first thing I started thinking was, George from Ohio must be sharing this mm -hmm. on Facebook, 
on Instagram, telling his buddy and his cousin in Florida, hey, by the way, you know how you and I smoke and we always said it'd be great to find, you got to check out this tat stuff, right? So yeah. are you guys find that the virality is happening? I'm glad you said that because I had no idea you're going to bring it up, but I was going to ask you. Yeah, no, it's not scripted. Uh, it was all just a natural conversation. Yeah. But um, yeah, we're starting to see that. Right, I mean, and it's very similar to uh, to how Jewel, the trajectory that Jewel hit. Like I remember when Jewel launched formally in Canada, there was nothing to launch. Everybody in Canada knew what Jewel was. Half of the stores already had it because they were just getting it from other people that were coming down from the States, right? So if you do a good job on communicating the value proposition and you start creating um, that awareness and through the consumers that are buying it, they like it and they start sharing it with their friends, um, I think you absolutely get that. And it's a, it's a very authentic uh, virality, as you called it. It's not something that's kind of engineered in any way. And, and that's the best kind. Yeah. When people like it and they go out of their way to share it. And then when they do that, I think a lot of people start paying attention. It's like, you can see an ad for something online and we do a pretty good job with that. But Great on the flip branding. side, Fantastic if, branding. if, if, you know, your best friend says, hey, George, go to Canadian Tire. You, you really got to buy this, I don't know, gazebo or something. You're going to go. Right? Versus, hey, I saw an ad for a gazebo or I saw an ad for a barbecue or something like that. So when, when you kind of get that word of mouth starting to spread from people in your trusted network, I think the brand has uh, an accelerated path to um, sort of mass awareness. So let's talk about that. There are two big distribution points that, have, that are new from the last time we spoke. Since we're talking about e-commerce right now, let's talk about that. Tomorrow, yep. Wednesday, February 17th, you're launching the online, obviously the e-commerce e store. And That's you're right. going to be selling across 39 US states. Right, Sadie? That's yeah. a massive advantage because you can't sell tobacco, traditional tobacco across state lines, can you? If I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, because I mean, the, the, the tax stamps that each state would require. Right. So, I mean, crossing from a commercial standpoint becomes very difficult. Um, but I think we've been able to obviously solve that problem. We don't have the, the, the tax stamps issue uh, on our product, so we can ship it to those states. And I think it also helps from a future brick and mortar expansion. So as you get the product in, uh, e-commerce is a great way to get your early adopters or people that are really intrigued about the brand or want to give it a shot so they can get it basically ahead of um, uh, a lot of other people and they'll start socializing it amongst their friends which i think is also great and as we start to see certain states that let's call it over index those become you know either higher up the list or lower down the list in terms of the next states you want to go to so you use the the data and the knowledge you get from the e-commerce to help refine the brick and mortar strategy because those two things need to work in tandem you're not going to catch every smoker through e-commerce. No, nope. you might not catch every smoker through brick and mortar. So you need to figure out a way on how to get these two things to work symbiotically. Otherwise, oftentimes what ends up happening with, with some of these CPG companies is that the e-commerce and the brick and mortar compete. They don't create more value. They basically uh, irritate people on the other side. One's trying to cannibalize the other. Exactly. And I think we've, we've figured out a way on how that won't happen. Well, it makes sense, right? If I'm Crossmark... Uh, I would actually welcome the e-commerce store and I don't want to speak Crossmark, but I welcome it because you're going to say, Hey, Crossmark, we launched in 39 States. Here they are ranked in terms of orders from one to 39. 
here's the data. What do you want to do? It just makes my life that much easier to go after the bigger markets and faster and more efficiently. Exactly. And again, sometimes you just have to use these little rules of thumb. I mean, the easiest way to sell something is when people are asking for it, <laughs> right? At that point, you're just fulfilling orders. If you get, you start seeding the market with the product, people start using it and they like it. They want to go to their store and buying it. Um, as they go into these stores and ask for it, if they don't have it, the more people start asking for it, the more stores are going to want to carry it. And then it just gets you more and it snowballs in the right direction. And I think that's really what we're trying to engineer through this rollout in the US. And I think that so far we've been doing a pretty good job of it. And now that we've got sort of the right partners in place to give us that scale, because again, like Crossmark already services over 100,000 convenience stores in the US. They already work with all of the wholesalers and distributors. They already work with all of the chain accounts. So they're to get an additional product in front of all those buyers is really not that difficult because the relationships are pre-existing and they have the people that are going into the individual convenience stores. They have thousands of them across the US. They're going into these individual convenience stores on a weekly basis, making sure that the product is stocked, that it's merchandised properly, that the retailers know what they're supposed to say, that the price is right, that it's got the right visibility for consumers. So, I mean, they help you do all of that. And I, I mean, it's, it's such a, a monumental partnership for us. I and mean, we're very excited to, to really start getting that ball rolling because and I think it's very, I think it's very, I think it's very important for people at home to understand that Seti said, said it earlier, the brands that Crossmark represents are some of the best known consumer brands. And we all recognize the names that Seti, that Seti racked off a few minutes ago. That means that they have a reputation to protect and to me. Oh, yeah. So they're well, that's not why just they don't take anybody on. that knocks on the door. They're not just, they're just, they must have a thousand Georges knocking on the door saying, hey, you know, can you carry these new bottles and put them in your store? You know, yeah, and they, and they won't do it, right? Because it doesn't really fit the, no. the, the brand. I mean, at the end of the day, they got a massive organization. So they're going to be able to cherry pick the projects that are going to make the most sense for them. And they say no way more often than they say yes. For sure, right? I, I bet you they only take on a handful of new brands every year at most uh, exactly because i mean again like, there's only so much you, you can do with a store like you're not going to go in with this uh, you know dictionary of products say yeah i got a thousand products which one do you <laughs> want they're going to cherry pick a handful of them and they're going to put their effort behind making sure that those ones that they have succeed and across that's the, the across the board to work with them so it's not just an exercise in hey you're you're one of a thousand products that we carry no they carry all the brands or the, you know, a good chunk of brands that you would know. And we now get to be a part of that. So when they're going in and putting in the effort, this becomes a priority project for them because this is one that's getting seeded into the market. And there's a difference between seeding a product in market and maintaining a product in market. Right. Yeah. Wilson, you guys have the all-star team that, that, that knows this. As opposed to George and a couple of guys getting together saying, hey, I think we can sell this product. You guys understand that. Exactly. So, I mean, when they're going in and calling on these stores, they're, I think they're going to spend you know, a good chunk of the time. Here's Pat. This is what it does. Here's how you position it. Here's the price. This is the value proposition of the consumer. You know, for a lot of the other products that they carry, there's not a, there's not a lot of that education that needs to happen because people know what it is. And that's really the point that you want to get to. You know, even when Jewel launched in the beginning, there was probably a lot of explanation to consumers sure. that had to happen 
to explain to them what this is, how it works, what you do. You know, okay, I got this device. I got to charge it on my phone. I got to do um, all of these things. And, you know, um, and then you, you start getting consumer acceptance. I think one of the great things with us is I don't have to teach a smoker how to smoke a cigarette. Right. That, and that's um, the advantage, right? You're, you're mimicking the exact same experience. That's why vaping, I don't want to say it's failed, but that's why vaping didn't catch the way people thought it was going to catch, or at least manufacturers thought it was going to catch. Because at the end of the day, you're forcing someone to do something totally different. Whereas different if I'm a cigarette smoker, I want yeah. the exact same experience. I don't want to, just like meat. Uh, if I'm going to eat a Beyond Meat hamburger, I just want to pick up a hamburger in a bun, eat it, taste the same, smell the same. I don't want to go through a complete different experience where I'm sucking it through a straw or something. You hit the nail on the head, right? I mean, it's the exact same thing, right? I mean, Beyond Meat did a great job of creating a substitute that was almost identical to meat so that for somebody that wanted to try it, it would it actually be better than they thought because they're probably thinking about, uh, oh, this is going to taste like one of those veggie burgers. A little like sawdust and then you try it and you're like oh, man this actually tastes like a burger and those are the reactions that you want because now all of a sudden it becomes top of mind when you see it you know what i tried it i liked it i think i'd buy that again i'm in i'm in and it's the same kind of thing here you, know, you want to be able to provide a smoker with an experience that is better than they would have thought and i think that we're there i think that's exactly what this is i mean right down to the pack you're opening a pack you're taking nothing changes yep. that's what's so powerful about about your product devil's advocate Things are going great. So you've got the attention of Crossmark. They brought you in. They're going to be deploying their force slowly, but they're going to be deploying a force. So you've got that. E-commerce launching tomorrow. If everything goes well, devil's advocate, how do you guys look on the production capacity side of things? How do you make sure that production capacity can meet potentially explosive demand or at least faster demand than you expect? Well, listen, I mean, we've already started ramping up uh, our production now. So we're producing at a clip that is way faster than we were even a month ago. And one of the things that we're, we're very close to doing is getting a, a much larger facility uh, for manufacture in, in Las Vegas. And that will increase production even more so. So again, I, I always like to plan it so that our best case uh, scenario is not our worst case outcome. You don't want to hit the ball out of the park only to realize you don't know how to run the bases. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Man, I love these. That's what tells me is you're a seasoned veteran, right? <laughs> at sales and marketing on a mass scale because you yeah. have those, you have those analogies. Yeah. So, you know, we, we try to build it in lockstep. I mean, the other thing, again, to kind of use the baseball analogy, the other thing you don't want to do is the field of dreams approach where you build out all of this capacity in the hopes that somebody shows up to buy it. So, because that's not going to work either. So sometimes it's about finding that balance in the beginning, making sure that you got some product market fit that when you put the product in market, people are going to like it. They're going to want to buy it. And then once you get that confirmation, which is what we've been doing in Ohio the last, let's call it six weeks. Now it gives us a lot more confidence. All right. You know what? We can start rolling this out a lot yeah. faster now. Let's get the production scaled up. You can make the necessary investments and, you know, you're off to the races. So does now you just start point? basically picking off all these things that you got to do and you do them. Does it come to a point where you have to co-locate? So you got Vegas now, but at some point you have to go Eastern seaboard just as you want to be transporting stuff across the country forever and, and increase your cost. So you think you guys get to that point at some point in the near future? 
Yeah, I think, look, as we start to grow, those are the things that, that you start to look at, right? In the beginning, it really is an exercise in trying to drive sales, okay? You wanna build a brand, you wanna capture share, you wanna drive sales. As you start doing that, then you get to, you know, how do we drive more efficiencies out of these sales? But in the beginning, when you start getting the wind at your back, like I think we are, you wanna run like the wind and make sure that you can get the product in as many smokers hands as possible. And that's exactly what we're trying to do now, right? It'll be profitable. As you start to really expand, then there's ways that you can drive more efficiencies, more profitability. But again, like I've said this from the beginning, this is a top line story. This is a revenue growth story. Um, and I think that we've got the right team in place to start capturing share and to make it more efficient and more profitable is always a fun exercise, but let's make sure we have enough beans to count before we start worrying about how many beans we're counting. There are going to be a lot of new people watching this because when we spoke last time, I think the stock was sitting at or, at or just under $3 right around there. Today, it's after four o'clock. Congratulations. Yeah. You've hit another new 52-week high. 592 is your, uh, is, is your new 52-week high, uh, closing high. Let people know about your team. And this is important because a lot of guys, you know, George Com would say, oh, I got a great team. I got Bob, my brother-in-law, John, and my sister, Mary, and we're really hard workers. Okay, great. But you guys are what I call the all, almost an all-star team that comes right out of the industry. And this is important because you're not in a, uh, you're not selling widgets where you're just flying by the seat of your pants and trying to create a new market. You're an established industry that if you don't follow the distribution rules, the the product production rules, marketing, all these things. If you don't fit into the existing infrastructure, which is a, a, a great that it's there, but B, if you don't follow the rules, you're going to get thrown out. Tell us about the team that knows its way around this industry and the, the guys you've got, you get the guys, the, the team you've got there. Sure. So, I mean, in Vegas, um, the guy that's heading it up there, this guy founded the company. His name's Joe Deegan. Um, now Joe's been in the flavoring space for many years. He actually created the first hemp cigarette, uh, back in 2018 called wild hemp, uh, which was recently sold to a company called turning point Brands, same company that distributes zigzag paper. Um, so he created the first hemp cigarette and now he founded this company. So he's heading up all of the production, the flavoring product development, all of these things in the States. And he's doing a, honestly, a tremendous job of getting that manufacturing going. And on the product development side, I think he's really created a tremendous product, uh, him and his team down there. And then uh, in Canada, uh, I've got uh, one of my former colleagues, Tim Corkum. He's heading up uh, all of the sales that we've got. Now, Tim's been at Philip Morris for 20 some odd years. He's run various markets. He's launched dozens of cigarette brands. He knows exactly how to get a product in market, work with the distributors, get the right terms, all of the things that you're going to have to go through. Like there's really, you're not going to pull the wool over his eyes kind of thing. And, you know, the easiest way to get the product through into the market is to leverage the existing infrastructure of which it exists. So that's exactly the strategy that we're going to do. So really you just kind of take it as a new product that would be launched in a very similar fashion if you were in Philip Morris or British American tobacco or, or Japan tobacco. We're just following, uh, you know, the same sort of commercialization plan that CPG companies would normally do. You'd start in a smaller area first, 
You'd start learning from how the product performs in market. Based on those learnings, you start to expand and hey, there you go. And you start getting it into to more and more stores. And, and one of the key things is getting the right partners on board that understand the space and can help leverage a lot of efficiencies. And that, again, talk about companies like Crossmark. That's exactly what that does because they're already plugged into the distribution infrastructure and, and convenience store infrastructure in the US. So to be able to plug in alongside with them can allow you to uh, access those points of sale a lot more efficiently and a lot faster. And let's not forget your experience, right? Because you don't oh, tell yourself short that you're the head honcho. Uh, make sure people at home know, you know your background. Sure. So uh, my background, uh, I started in the capital markets, uh, did some private equity. Then uh, I started my own company and the, uh, the event space, which I sold. And then I was working at Philip Morris for a number of years. So uh, at Philip Morris, um, I worked on commercializing their reduced risk products in Canada. So what it really taught me there was just working individually with thousands of smokers and figuring out what the appropriate strategies are, how you would commercialize a product like this. How would you position an alternative in a way that smokers would actually want to give it a shot? And I think, you know, leveraging some of that experience on this product has been tremendously valuable. And I guess you could probably take a look at the share price and see from there. I mean, I started, uh, I started beginning of August. 70 cents. Here's 70 cents or so. So I think we've come a you know, pretty decent way in the last six, seven months. Yeah, that, to, to say it humbly, but I think it's important for everyone to know at home that it's totally one thing to have a new upstart, great product company. There's nothing wrong with that at all. No. That's so many companies are, are, are made that way. But if you can add on the fact that just the experience of, of, of setting the, and the two guys he talked about, plus some advisors that also come from from the tobacco industry. Oh gosh, yeah. I mean, we've got we've got yeah, a couple the of advisors. Of a winner. Yeah, I mean, we've got advisors that have been executives and board of directors members for publicly traded tobacco companies. So I mean, they they understand the ins and outs of this space, and they help provide guidance in terms of you know we'll run a lot of commercialization ideas by them. And say okay, we, we want to go this way, we want to do this, we want to do that, and based on their you know many many years of experience. Uh, just helps guide us in the, in the right direction. So, look, I think we've got a hell of a team in place, and I really don't see why this product won't work. Yeah, it certainly looks like that setting. We're not going to put the cart before the horse, but we no, can Ohio no, I mean, launch the renew the, the 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 re the reorders that are coming in at a at a rate that I'm going to quote Tim. Uh, you know, Tim Corkum, we talked about it, said of all the tobacco category products I've worked with, TAT is an outlier in terms of the level of demand it has had in its early stages. I've launched dozens of new tobacco brands across Canada and the Caribbean. And while many of the new products were reordered by retailers in the first several weeks, none of them were reordered by anywhere near 60% of stores that initially carried them. I mean, that says a lot coming from a guy that's not coming from George. That's coming from Tim Corkum, who, who is a former commercialization executive for Philip Morris International. 100%. So, yeah. again, it, cigarettes are launched every year. But there's not really anything terribly distinct about them other than maybe some pricing issues, right? I think what we have is a very compelling value proposition for consumers, which is why you're starting to see 
that traction quickly and early. We've got a product that will taste like a tobacco-based cigarette. We've got a product that isn't addictive, okay? So we can give that to smokers. If you wanna to switch to this product, it's not an addictive substance like nicotine. And I can give it to you at a price point that's gonna be cheaper than any cigarettes you could buy. So- and That's because of the taxes, right? So to make sure people know that cigarettes carry a very heavy tax burden with them. Yeah, like we'll make, I mean, outside of the tax, we'll make a similar margin to what right. Philip right. Morris or, or, or Altria will make selling cigarettes at seven or eight bucks a pack in the US. And we're selling it at least in Ohio right now, 3.99 a pack. Yeah, a lot of people realize you were cheaper, not because you're undercutting and playing no. the commodity business. You just don't have that three, four dollar a pack tax that tobacco companies have to have. Exactly, to add we can on pass to those savings on to the consumer. Yeah, I think the consumer will appreciate. So it's not like we're eating into our margins to do so. Um, and and again, it just forms a, a stronger and stronger value proposition for the consumer, which is why I think as we start getting broader distribution into more and more stores with marketing that backfills it and the e-commerce, I can't see why a smoker wouldn't at least give it a shot. Either and then again, Either it goes back to the beginning of the discussion. It's not like I need all of them to like it. I could have 399 out of 400 not like it. And you're still doing great. Well, I know, can I order these in Canada, by the way? I don't smoke, but I have a ton of friends uh, you know, Greeks, Italians growing up who oh, are yeah. smokers. And I would love to do nothing better than get eat than to give each of them a pack. I don't know. Can I get in Canada or is it still early? No, I mean, we haven't launched in Canada yet. Uh, in Canada, the product, because it contains hemp, would also be governed under the Cannabis Act. So uh, that's one of the things that we're exploring in terms of how to appropriately get the product uh, marketed and sold in Canada. But there are different regulations in Canada, which are not the same as in the U.S. So in the U.S., right. I can sell this in convenience stores, Circle K, 7-Elevens, you know, your mom and pop convenience stores. It can sit on those shelves legally. In Canada, it would have to be sold through the licensed retailers. Right. Got it. So you wouldn't be able to have it, at least in currently, you wouldn't be able to have it uh, in the same convenience channel. So, you know, given the size of the opportunity, we said, all right, well, I think the U.S. is enormous. Of course. Um, it's a, it's a, easier distribution point because you're putting it in the same channels that a smoker would go to buy a pack of cigarettes and not trying to get the smoker to go to somewhere else where they wouldn't normally buy a pack of cigarettes to buy it. So I think there's a lot of uh, yeah, benefits. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, like we're, we're trying to understand the consumer journey in a way that gives our consumers the easiest path to the product. Which is the same path, which is the same path they've always taken. So you don't even change the path. All right. That's no, like, the, from I mean, walking into the convenience store saying, give me a pack of smokes to opening it up, just like you would to lighting up, smoke it the way it disposing. Everything is exactly the same, except for there's no nicotine in there and no tobacco in there at the end of the day. So yeah, buddy, you've got a winning company and we could talk for another hour. Trust me. I know that. Uh, I'm but, sure we'll talk again. Yeah. We're going to talk a lot more. Congratulations on Crossmark. And we, you haven't officially launched e-commerce. That's tomorrow. But I'm going to say congratulations in advance. Thank you. And, and Thank best, you. That's with that. And I think we're going to be checking with you pretty soon to see how that's going. Uh, God knows I'm going to send out that link to all my American friends. Please say, do. Hey, guys, check this out. You know, yeah. uh, trytat.com. A gift, a gift from me. Trytat, right? Trytat.com, correct? That's right. Thanks for joining us, Seti.
Thank you, George. For everybody at home, you've been watching or if you listen by podcast on Spotify, Google, Apple, your favorite podcast platform, to Seti Coscarella. He's CEO of TAT Lifestyle and Wellness. The company trades on the CSC out of the stock symbol TAT, T-A-A-T. And for our friends in the U.S., T-O-B-A-F. And for our friends in Europe, 2TP2 on Frankfurt. Uh, you've heard what he's had to say. You've watched what Seti had to say. You've seen a lot of the graphics we've been putting up uh, during this interview. If you're new, you got to do your due diligence. If you're an, if you're an existing, you just got to wait and watch what this company's going to do. But for those of you doing your due diligence, get over to Agoracom. Take a look at the information we've put up there. Uh, take a look at the last interview we did with SETI as well. And by all means, make sure you get over to the company's website as well. The branding is amazing. The information is amazing. Uh, you'll be impressed because I don't want you to tell, I don't want you to tell us a year from now that we didn't tell you so, because we told you. Do your due diligence. Have a great day. See you next time. All right.